welcome back to the Oklahoma drill. It's, I mean, these episodes are going to go up like simultaneously, but you need to understand that for me, it's been months. Um, Alex and Nathan, how are you guys doing? I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh, Yeah, this is kind of the third pod in the last two days that I've, I've done. Nathan and I have done at least and um, holding it down yeah holding it down making up for making up for lost time (laughs) yeah because there was there was plenty of that so um, I thought today you know we kind of did the recruiting stuff and obviously you know like you said these pods will go up probably all at the same time but yesterday we talked about recruiting a lot and didn't really talk about the season that just happened. Um, we kind of, I kind of explained why we didn't pod during the year. And it was a lot of, we were pissed about COVID in general and how the season was going because of it. And then obviously, you know, school stuff. But, um, so I thought today we would talk about that as a whole and just kind of, what we've learned, like our takeaways from this year. Um, how does that sound, everyone? Sounds good. To yeah. Me. Yeah. So I think the there's I broke the season down into kind of four separate parts, and you know there was the the kind of the one and two start, which you know we all got real sad and did not <laughs> enjoy. We, uh, I know me personally, I kind of shut down college football for like a month after that. I yep. just hated, hated it a lot. And then you know, there was the Texas game that was overly stressful and stupid, and but also kind of turned things around. And mm-hmm. that sent us into our kind of most dominant run of the season. I think it was four games where we just looked pretty dang good every week. And um, that sent us into the last two games where the defense really has hit its stride dominant and the offense kind of sputtered. So um, I think that, you know, that is kind of how we'll take a look at the the season as a whole. So let's, let's start with that one and two start Um, the one win coming against Missouri state, which is like a fake win, but um, there was, you know, certainly starting with Kansas state, you know, it was, there were a lot of concerning things we'll say from, and largely from a, a defensive standpoint in those, yeah. in those two games, like there were just a lot of mistakes being made. Yeah. Though, I mean, I would say like, there were also mistakes, like there were issues on the offensive side of the ball that actually ended up sort of carrying through the rest of the season. But, yeah, um, that second half at Kansas State really uh, soured me on the whole concept of college football for about a month. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, was an, as, that was quite a meltdown, like as unexplainable of a meltdown as she could have. They just yeah. completely collapsed that, last, that second half. Um, offense couldn't do anything. Defense couldn't stop anything. It was just crazy. Um, the Iowa State game, I can at least like kind of, you know, rationalize that one because Iowa State turned out to be a pretty good team. But 
that K State game, even with Skylar Thompson. Like, good lord, they they just they just they just looked awful in that second half. Yeah, for sure. And I think the the frustrating aspect of those first you know those first two losses were just the the fact that in both games we got a pretty decent lead in the first mm-hmm. half. You know, and then it wasn't any one specific thing that made us lose those games. It was just a culmination of a million mistakes that we would have. And it was veteran players making those mistakes. It was young, like Spencer Rattler, certainly, you know, in the Kansas State game. You know, I think he threw three interceptions. A couple of them were really bad interceptions. The Iowa State game, everybody remembers the last pass that he threw that was intercepted. Um, so there, there were certainly, you know, young players making mistakes. The offensive line was terrible in that stretch, um, which I think we will probably talk about more as we go through this, but it's just the penalties. There was just so many offensive line penalties at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Like what immediately comes to mind is I remember against Iowa state, they had some, I think it was going into half. They had a chance to take a drive and get some momentum going and they just basically, you know, sabotage their own drive just from repeated, you know, false starts and holds or I don't remember exactly what the penalties were, but basically it was like Tyrese Robinson and other linemen doing stupid things that basically just, you know, bombed the drive and before it could ever even get going. And they've cleaned that up, at least the penalties part um, going on through the year. But early in the year, it was just, you know, a, a whole mix of errors I think for the most part, you know, Rattler had some some problems. He's trying to push things a little bit too much, but he largely, to me, played well enough to win. But every there, were, he didn't have enough people around him playing enough well enough to win that it just magnified the errors that he made. Yeah, um, it was just really odd to just be watching the offensive line in the first half of the season and be like, actually, they're like bad. Like it's a bad offensive line. Right. And which what was you know, and it was uh, exacerbated by the fact that you know if you compare it to how glowingly Beatenbo talked about the offensive line coming into the season, it's right. like well this isn't what we expected. You know we were thinking we were going to be you know Joe Moore finalist or something, and here we are we can barely block uh, K State. We can we even had trouble getting some push against Missouri State. So it was right. it was. Very confusing, very perplexing. Well, there was that, you know, I think early in the Iowa State game, maybe the first possession, we, we kicked a 19-yard field goal because Lincoln just had zero confidence that we could push yeah. it in from the one-yard line. Like That's it, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And part of that, you know, we we were without our – Kennedy Brooks opted out. Trey Sermon had transferred. Ramondre was suspended. So we were, our, we were on what might have been our fourth-string running back but even so, you know, if you're, you should be able to run one yard, two yard when yeah. you have to, um, especially a team like Oklahoma and an offensive line with, you know, four returning starters uh, and Swenson, who has, had played a lot as well. So, yeah, very expensive. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that later. <laughs> uh, yeah, but just, yeah, just the um, yeah, just the, the line play was just frustratingly bad in a way that um you know really and, took the wind out of the sails of the first half of the right. season and actually you know at 
points in the second half of the season was also not particularly good. Establishing the running game was always a challenge. Yeah, and then defensively, I mean, we were they would play can, can really I, well. Real quick, for, real quick, can I can sorry, I say I'm something about the offensive myself. line? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Last thing on the offensive line, it, I have a kind of a question. Um, I've kind of I've gone back and watched a lot of of clips from from last year and and even the year before, but the thing that made me wonder after watching some some games from last year is I kind of think that Jalen Hurts, you know, I think that we gave him a hard time because he was he was limited in a lot of ways. You know, he's yeah. clearly not a Heisman level passing quarterback. He made some of the dumbest decisions you're ever going to see on a football field. Like no arguments there, but I think that he did a lot of things that covered up for the offensive line last year with his mobility and the fact that he was able to run the ball and in him doing so that allows us to have an extra blocker. And I think that helped yeah. quite a bit. Oh and yeah. I, I, I mean, I definitely think so much was, of, yeah, yeah the second ahead, half Ryan. of 20, oh, sorry. We spent so much of the second half of the 20 of 2019, essentially running the wildcat, right? Like with, you know, the extra blocker definitely helped that line. Um, I um, I think about, like, obviously there's, like, replacing talent on the line, which is an issue, because, the like, the 2017 and the 2018 lines were so freaking stacked that, like, turnover these past two years, like, has been inevitable. But, you know, with the recruiting being as well, as good as it's been, you'd expect, like, you know, we expected them to reload. My concern is I look at the actions that worked incredibly well in 2017 and 2018, like the things that this line became famous for, like running counter. And like a lot of times last year and this year, you'd see guys shooting the gaps that developed in there. So I think that's a little bit, um, you know, defense is scheming better for this attack, but I also think a little bit of execution that's gone downhill in the past two years of those running teams that were incredibly effective for us. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I wonder if a little bit of it this year is they didn't have their, and I don't want to give too many, um, uh, you know, reasons as to why they're not as effective because other teams are plenty effective. So I don't want to give them excuses, but you know, with the with the counter, it takes a lot of timing. It takes yeah. conditioning to be able to run it. They missed a lot of that in the off season. Maybe that's a maybe that's a reason. But um, I still don't think it's a good excuse. It, it's just perplexing, you know. And Alex, I don't remember what the actual question you asked was, but um, so I, actually, I probably should just can you restate your question because I want to make sure I answer it correctly. Well, I, I, my question was 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 Jalen Hurts able to yeah. his specific skill set? What did he cover up for some of the struggles that last year's offensive line had? Because I don't think you know last year's offensive line wasn't as good as right. in years past, but I don't remember being as consistently frustrated by that group. As I was no. this year, and I think group. you made good points of you know they they had the ex, they were afforded an extra blocker a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I think Jalen was you know you know he's a big strong guy he could run through a lot of arm tackles. Um, 
I think early in the year we were plagued by Spencer having, you know, not the best pocket awareness. So he would have a tendency to hold on to the ball. Um, he they weren't running him as much, or at least not as intelligently. They were doing like some weird zone read stuff that just never worked. Um, they and they haven't been doing that as much lately. I, I think they kind of tailored it a little bit to his strengths, but early in the year they were doing things where he would, he would hold on to the ball and they weren't able to hold up and press pass protection. We didn't have our best running backs. Um, and then we would come off a weird, you know, shortened off season. I just think there are some things stacked against them, but I, I do think that they just, maybe they just aren't as good as we thought they might be, but I am perplexed why, you know, even if they were a step below last year, it doesn't seem like they've gotten much better. Um, and that's probably the part that is most confusing. Like what happened with the development from last year to this yeah. year um, well, that I, you would I, expect to see? I think that, I mean, I don't think many people would argue. Like Tyrese Robinson has not had the season he had last year, this year. Like he's just see, been. I don't think, I didn't, I don't remember. Th- I thought he was the weak link last year outside of, you know, the ro- rotation at left tackle. Um mm-hmm. I mean, that was yeah. obviously the weakest link, but of the mainstays, right. I always I, thought he was the worst. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's athletic, but he's inconsistent and it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like he's gotten any more consistent. If anything, right. he's gotten less consistent. Um, right. And then but yeah. where's Marquise Hayes? Why is he not more dominant? Adrian right. Ely? Why is he not more dominant? You know, these are guys that now have two full seasons of starting. Um, and they're still having trouble, you know, dominating accordingly. Um, and Iowa state is a good team. I don't want to say that, oh, they should just run wild on Iowa state because John Heacock's given us fits for four years now, um, with some of the best offenses we've ever had, but, you know, early in the season, they should have been better. Baylor we'll get into Baylor. I think there might've been some weird COVIDness, you know, weirdness around that just around the COVID situation there. But um, yeah, certainly early in the season, I, I would have expected better. Yeah. I, it, it's been, it's been weird. It's been weird all year because you know, that's the thing that's been a feature of a bill beaten bow offensive line is that, you know, maybe the first three games, they don't look amazing. You know, right. I think we, but then they start we, to click. We, we all get comfortable with the idea that he moves guys around a bunch in the off season and they play all across the offensive line. And I think that maybe causes them to start a little bit slow. The one year that we really didn't start slow on the offensive line was 2017. It's because we had all five starters back. We didn't have to move anybody around. And so, you know, we'll see if, you know, hopefully next year we might have all five starters back again. Um, Maybe next year can be more positive. Um, in that regard, do we want all five starters back? That's well, question. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't want Swenson starting again, but he might actually be on the team again. So what? We'll, we'll yeah, he might be there. Well, and the thing you worry about with that is what does it take to unseat him? Um, right. Does it take a Josiah St. John situation? Um, right. So yeah. anyway, uh, so go ahead. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's, let's move, let's move over to the defense, you know, the the early season defense. And what I will say is, you know, going into this year, 
I was concerned about actual, you know, improvement, like from a number standpoint going into this year, because our numbers were pretty good last year. Um, and then we lost Parnell Motley. We lost Neville Gallimore. We lost Kenneth Murray. Um, and I think the first three games, the three you best noti- players for yeah, three of the you four noticed best players. that you mm-hmm. noticed those guys not being there early in the season. And well, there were just a ton of mistakes. They were also doing a lot of rotation things where they were putting guys out there that just straight up should not be out there in real minutes. Um, and they haven't been doing that as much lately. Like the, the one that, you know, immediately screams into my head is Brian Mead blowing the Deuce Vaughn big play. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why was he on the field, you know? Um, and he's played a few snaps since then. But, you know, that was kind of the end of the Brian Mead experiment, really, was that game. Um, I And, again, a, a part, a lot of it was, I think you're right, you know, they're they were replacing a lot of big pieces. They didn't. We didn't really know who the leaders were on the defense, especially with Ronnie out. Um, Isaiah Thomas wasn't Isaiah Thomas yet. Um, you know, the, we had lost Caleb Kelly in preseason. So who is your leader at linebacker? You're starting Brian Asamoah, Brian Asamoah there. Um, you had one starter, excuse me, one captain on both sides of the ball, which. I remember thinking preseason, like, that's weird. That hasn't happened mm-hmm. in, like, 40 years. Um, is that an indictment of, you know, what the leadership level is on this team? And now I I have less strong feelings about that now because Texas had, like, seven captains, and that really worked out well for them. But <laughs> <laughs> at preseason, I was like, mm, this might be a little squirrely. So um, there was just... It was just that thing, you know, and Grinch kind of talked about it throughout the course of the year. And I know we're getting ready to get into the different segments of the season that you laid out, but we would play really well for stretches. And then just the 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 scars of what used to be would come um, and make themselves apparent. We would just melt down and they finally seemed to kind of fix that midseason. But in those early games, if things started going against them, they did not have the resiliency to uh stop it and make a play that would end it. You know what I mean? Or make a stop that would, you know, get things rolling back in a positive direction. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I think that um, it, it was very similar to kind of last year with, you know, like you said, there was just not a lot of resiliency. Um, and I was, I was very, worried about the defense i figured the offense would get it figured out um you know throughout the course of the year that's just kind of been the history of what we've we've done at ou you know even those elite elite offenses i remember 2017 there were concerns early in the year from people not named ryan and myself because we were extremely high on the offense not to pat ourselves on the back but um (laughs) i remember there were definite concerns about that group and it just improved now defensively, I just I I was worried about the idea of not having playmakers. I was worried yeah. about the fact that, you know, we heard a lot of hype about Trey Brown in the offseason. You know, he was playing yeah, that's amazing football. He might be a Thorpe finalist this year. And he was terrible. You know, he was he committed some of the stupidest penalties you'll ever see against Iowa State. You could argue that his holding penalty costs us that game against mm-hmm. Iowa State. 
and I've you know, Buki, memories, so yeah, right. <laughs> Buki was, oh my god, you know, as small <laughs> as ever, doing, still doing dumb stuff. Pat Fields couldn't catch anything. He had two or three interception opportunities against Iowa State. Dropped them all. Yeah, you know, like it was just, it looked like same old Oklahoma secondary, um, and that was a concern. Um, so I, yeah, I think most people after the third game, you know, I tried to stay positive. I mean, I was pissed, but I tried to stay positive. But I think the, the overwhelming kind of narrative was that this is, this might be a rough one for OU because, you know, you, you lost to Kansas state, you've got Texas right. coming up and yeah. yeah I mean, we were, was, there was a very real chance of us starting out. Oh, and three, we were staring that directly in the face of, <laughs> Oh, yeah. and three conference start. Um, right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I know that I remember there were a lot of like odds getting floated out there of, you know, oh, K-State and Iowa State are 50 percent, you know, chances of making the Big 12 championship game. And OU was like five percent or something. And I was like, I kind of laughed at that because I don't know, for some reason, I, I, I had 2016 in my head of okay they might start really bad but i think there's a decent chance they'll get this righted and i'm pretty sure i messaged you alex at some point of saying i would bet it's more likely that ou wins out than both k-state and iowa state are in the big 12 championship game um which turned out to be true but (laughs) i think what i was in my head was i've seen this movie before in a way, in a lot of ways, and obviously 2016, we lost to better teams than we lost to this year, but I didn't think they were completely out of it, but man, I was worried. I was actually concerned about Texas because they had seemed to play us pretty well, regardless of record. And right. we had looked like, you know, shit. So <laughs> let's, well, let's talk about Texas. spade a spade. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the Texas game. Cause I have, that is to me, there was like a whole season in that one game, like just oh, an, yeah. no doubt. an amazing well, for one thing, amount. The game lasted <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That's for sure. Four overtimes, ridiculous. Um, so I lost hair in that game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in typical OU fashion, the game starts out. We look great. You know, we're driving down the field offensively. Spencer Rattler, I watched the highlights the other day. He find, found Marvin Mims just wide open on one of those leak plays. Yeah. Uh, throws across the field. Looks amazing. Everything's mm-hmm. working fantastically. Um, and then Spencer Rattler becomes a freshman quarterback in his first Red River game yep. and does some really dumb things. Like, he really bad interception on a pass where he just stares at Austin Stogner the whole time. Um, and then he, you know, he fumbles later and they winds up getting benched. And I want to ask Ryan, what were your, what were your thoughts whenever Spencer Rattler or whenever you saw Tanner freaking Mordecai (laughs) come onto the football field against Texas? That was, um, oh dear. You know, (laughs) um, my, after the Kansas State loss, my approach to this entire season was like, oh, why are, like, why are we even doing this? This is stupid. This is a fake year. And like, there's nothing no, can like... come from this year but pain. <laughs> um, and then it's like, uh, in this unique flavor of pain, it's Tanner Mordecai gets to play in the Red River game. Since Rattler got benched. And it's like, 
Uh, like you, you start to feel like the program collapsing in your mind. Um, thankfully, you know, it didn't turn out that way, but like, God, I don't think Spencer Rattler gets benched for Tanner Mordecai would have made my list of 100 most likely things to happen in that season happen this year. And it happened in game four. Yeah. That's not, those aren't the particular shoulders that I would have wanted to place the season on. Um, but we talk a lot of talk a lot of smack about Tanner Mordecai, but the man did lead a touchdown drive. So kudos. I to think him. the most <laughs> infuriating thing that about that was that you know kind of an early season and it, it continued throughout the entire year was yeah. that Spencer Rattler's best throw of every game just gets dropped by a receiver. Oh my court. god! Yep. Yep. Like the best two or three. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Tanner Tanner Mordecai comes in there and he's throwing a bunch of balls into the ground and our <laughs> receivers are catching all of them. <laughs> I was like, what the actual hell is happening yeah. right now? Yeah, he, he the drive wasn't the prettiest drive, but he had the one to Rambo that was like a crazy catch. Um, Marvin Mims caught one off his shoelaces. Yeah, there are some crazy catches on that drive, but... And then it was capped by a was it a Marcus Major touchdown? Yeah. Like it was just a weird ass drive. But um, just everything that game was so weird. Yeah. Um, and you know the defense was okay in the first half. Like they got put in really bad yeah. positions by the offense. Well, real uh, quick, did did either of you actually think Tanner Mordecai was going to be the guy the rest of that game? I, I know this I, might be revisionist history because it's been two months, but I'm just curious. My initial thought was, because when it became pretty clear that Rattler wasn't hurt, my initial thought truly was that I think he's probably going to start the second half, but I wasn't entire. Like, I was, that was my hope. I was yeah. like, we have a 0% chance of winning this game if if they run Tanner Mordecai out there in the second half. I, um, no, I thought Tanner was going to finish the game. Well, here's the thing, is because I was like, as soon as, as soon as Tanner Mordecai went in, I was like, okay, this is going to go so poorly, we're going to see Chandler Morris rescue the day. <laughs> um, and, no. And once, he would have won like, it. Yeah. Once it, like, he was in and it was going all right, I was like, oh, okay, so we're just going to lose this then. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I was kind of what Alex said. I I certainly wasn't 100% confident the Rattler was going back in, but, like, I was like, there's no way they're actually going to do this, right? Like, they're not going to actually put it all on Tanner Mordecai to go win. Um, they have to put Rattler back out there. But yeah, I, I was trying to. I think I was more trying to convince myself than I was, you know, certain that it was actually going to happen. Right. Yeah, and then in the second half, Spencer Rattler cleaned things up. He was much more efficient. He was yeah. much, much. You know, he didn't make any mistakes in the second half, and. The defense played really, really well for about a quarter and a half in the second half. And I remember Isaiah Thomas was a beast and just getting after Sam Ellinger. And, you know, we built a 14-point lead. Everything was great. Um, we, You know, then we give up a touchdown to Texas. We get the ball back. And I this, this to me is one of the plays of the season because it – it kind of encapsulates some of the frustration for the entire year and just kind of 
my frustration with this team and OU football in general. Um, and it was the third down play late in the game where it's, I think it's third and 10 or so. And everyone in the world thinks OU's going to run the football. And I thought OU's probably going to run the ball and we'll punt the ball, give the ball back to Texas with about a minute left in the game. And we throw it to Austin Stogner on third and 10. Mm-hmm. It's not the best throw in the world, but it hits him in his hands and he drops it. And that, you know, fourth and 10, we have to punt the ball. They drive down and score, and that sends us into overtime. And if, if they convert it, they win that game. Like, it yeah. ends right there. Yeah, because the, Texas had no timeouts. The game is over if Austin Stogner catches the football right there. Like, that yep. just – and as a result of that drop, we had to sit through four of the most excruciating overtimes that I can ever remember. And had to, miss, I had to watch Gabe Burkich miss a 30-yarder to win. Yeah. yeah. You guys to watch an exchange of missed field goals. Right. Yeah. So what did you guys think about that call? Because I actually didn't hate it. And you know yeah. why? It should have worked. It hit him in the hands. He should have caught it. Um, I understand the logic of running it, but mm-hmm. I don't I don't mind the call because it, it was there. It was open, and he just dropped it. One so, thing. Yeah. One thing to point out about that, too, is that the the officials earlier, you know, a couple minutes earlier in the game had totally screwed up a clock situation and they gave Texas an extra 40 oh my God. seconds. I yeah, the game was over. That. Like, yeah. yeah. And if forgot. if that 46 seconds hadn't have been on the clock, of course, Lincoln would have run the ball because they would have gotten the ball with like 20 seconds left in the game. I so completely like, forgot about that. That changed it quite a bit. I, in the situation we were in, I wanted us to pass because I didn't. I wanted us to. I didn't want yeah. to let them I just remember, drive down the field again. Yeah, I just remember people being like livid on online and you know various OU places of why did they throw the ball there? And while I can see, I, I get the argument. I I just go back to Lincoln. What was I mean? <laughs> Lincoln had the right play call. It was there, and the players just didn't convert it. So I can't blame right. Lincoln for that. Yeah. Literally, like, one of, like, ten different plays that got serious scrutiny because they ended in drops. Yeah. Right. Like. Well, that's, a, like, a big thing of the offense this year. It's like there's a lot, been a lot of flack, and a lot of it deserved, you know, for on the offense of, you know, they're not as good as they have been, but. I mean, the offense would be like, you know, eight touchdowns better if people would just catch the damn ball this year. Right. So, yeah. um, anyway. Yeah. No, it, that, that was a, that's one of the more memorable plays of the season for me. There, there's a lot of the overtime periods that I just can't, I've blocked out and I can't remember. I remember the Stogner touchdown in overtime. Which is a great I remember play. The, yeah, I remember the Wee's two-point conversion, but that's mostly it. Um. You don't remember Drake's stoops? Oh, right. He's choosing to forget. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I'm not surprised that you chose to forget a Drake stoops highlight. But no, known Drake stoops hater, me. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we 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 get out with the win. You know, because Sam Ellinger doesn't have it. He's overrated. Throws an interception in the fourth the fourth overtime to Trey Brown. Um, to Trey Brown, and. I, I think in a lot of ways that, you know, they, they've talked about this, that I think Rattler grew up quite a bit in that game, especially in the overtime periods. And I think the 
I think the defense gained some confidence because they realized how close they were because they were pretty dominant in the third mm-hmm. and half the fourth quarters. And then they made the play in overtime. You know, like it wasn't a perfect performance by any means, but they were close. You know what I mean? And I think that that gave the defense some confidence that they were headed in the right direction. Isaiah Thomas kind of had a breakout game. Um, And I think that that kind of turned things around for the whole team because we moved on into the next four games. We looked incredible. I mean, it was, you know, we went down to TCU. You know, TCU is not a good team. But they were, you know, they're okay. You know, that's they a ended team the that, season fairly well. Yeah, that's a team you can lose to. If you play bad, you can lose to TCU. They're not Kansas, where it doesn't matter what you do, you're winning. Like, you've got to go down to Fort Worth and play well. And, you know, there were some red zone issues with the offense where we could have scored more points. Um, mm-hmm. But the defense was fantastic. You know, I think we held them to, what, 10 points or something, 13. And yeah, I can't even remember. Yeah, we, we ran the ball better. We you know, I remember TJ Pledger had a nice game. Um, Rattler made some ridiculous throws down the field to Marvin Mims. Um, that, you know, good performance. Then we go to Texas Tech, probably the most completely dominant performance of the season, other than, you know, Kansas doesn't count. But, um, you know, it starts out, that's the game we got Ronnie Perkins back. You know, and it starts out with with Tech driving down the field and scoring, and it was like I was oh, going to mention. Yeah, they completely yeah. dominated after you know looking terrible on their first drive. And right. After that, they played really well. Yeah, and that was that was the game where, you know, I think that Rattler. I mean, I really believed in, in Spencer Rattler before all you know all of this. You know, we've been talking about him for multiple years now, but you know, there's always a little bit of concern. You know, when you, you see a guy play for the first time and maybe he's not quite the player that you had in your head. But that that night, he really was the player that I had in my head. You know, he's throwing the ball off balance 45 yards down the field and on a dime to Austin Stogner in the end zone. Yeah, that was also a good game of, you know, great throws being dropped. He had yeah. the, long, the long Mims one uh, that mm-hmm. Mims hit, you know, surprisingly – Mims has been like the one that hasn't done this, but it hit him straight in the hands and he dropped it. The right. Weiss touchdown also dropped. He had two touchdowns dropped on that night that I can immediately think of. Yeah. Yeah, the defense played fantastic. We turned him over multiple times. Trey Norwood had a couple picks. Mm-hmm. Like that was that I think that with you know getting Ronnie back, I think the defense had already kind of turned it around. But getting a player as good as Ronnie Perkins back to put on that defensive line. It, yeah. That's when we became like maybe the best defense in the conference. Well, then yeah. we also had Ramondre back, and that was a big boost as well. Yeah. Um, and then from there, we've got Kansas, <laughs> which wasn't the final. Talk about. <laughs> Sixty-two to nine against Kansas. That sounds right. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay. Couple couple things about Kansas is that we lost Austin Stogner for the season. Because he took, yeah. a, took a low hit on a pass over the middle. And I believe, I am, I think we need to give Kansas two years. And if they can't put a real football team together, then I don't think they should be allowed to play in the Big 12. <laughs> it is it is literally a waste of a week for everyone in the conference. Right. All, you, all that can happen is that you get hurt. 
You don't yeah. learn anything playing a team that bad, good or bad. You don't learn anything because I, if yeah, we ahead. are not five years out from Texas losing to Kansas, it That's almost crazy. happened again last year. Also this is crazy. true of OU. We should get a pass Kansas <laughs> week for sure. Nothing will change about that week for the rest of time. But yeah, everybody else has to pass that literacy test. You know what's crazy is of all the truly terrible Kansas teams, that might have been the worst Kansas team I've ever seen. That one was just atrociously bad. And also, we almost killed a guy on the field. Or it sure right. looked like it for you know, yeah. the first few minutes. That, that They had the worst offensive line I've ever seen. Like, I'm... Yeah. Dead serious. Like the wor- our entire defensive line broke through their offensive line almost on probably ninety percent of the plays. Yeah, I was it so wasn't just that they scored on the last play because Same. it made it look even closer than it should have been. <laughs> yeah. that, that was a that was a could have been a hundred to zero kind of game. Right. It was crazy. Just, God, that game pissed me off so much. We lose we lose our kind of our number one target as a receiver for the season. Yep. Um, because, you know, he's a massive human was being. That, the only way they're going to get him is to go low. Is that also the game where Spencer Rattler ran into the end zone and uh, yeah. hurt his hip? Yeah, the yep. hip yeah. contusion game where he saw Spencer God, butt. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> not an OU Kansas game unless Greg McElroy finds something else to talk about. I guess it wasn't – Greg McElroy wasn't even on that it was call, Tom. Was it was Tom Luganville. That, it's Luke. Right. Yeah. Right. It was oh, McElroy in 2017 when – Baker grabbed his ball. Yeah, I was at that game. You know what's yeah. funny is at that game, like no one even knew that happened. We found out. <laughs> after. <laughs> we found out afterwards. Awesome. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. It's just it's a it was a stupid Kansas game. So OU was going to win by a billion points, and the commentary crew just needed something else to talk about. So yeah, they the, just yeah yeah. The most interesting thing in that game was just seeing Spencer Rattler's ass on national television. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Um, okay, so then we had Bedlam, and Bedlam pretty much ended in the first quarter. Um, and yep. I, I remember after the Tech and the Kansas game, I think I texted Nathan, and I, I was just like, I kind of think we're just going to kill everybody for the rest of the year because we're just – nobody's close to us. If our defense is playing like this, no one's close to us. And I was – I remember being extra annoyed – that we spent the two weeks before the Oklahoma State game pretending that the OU and OSU teams were of, of similar caliber. And that was yeah. just so obviously not the case. Yeah. What um, was Mike Gundy doing with Spencer Sanders uh, I, and Shane Illingworth? Like, has that ever been, really been answered? I have no idea. I I thought, because I, I, I remember not watching the game with, with sound – um, and so I thought Spencer Sanders must have been concussed. And so well, that's kind of how they talked about it too. And then they're like, Oh, he's not concussed. So he's just like standing over on the sidelines and yeah, it was just bizarre. Right. No, I, that was OSU's offense was just absolutely hopeless in that game. Like it was, you know, I just, you know, there was a point where our offense did not play very well. You know, I think second and third quarters, our offense yeah. struggled. And right, then, yeah, yeah. OSU's defense is okay, but it was just never concerning because we had the points to win the game. Once we scored mm-hmm. that third touchdown, the game was over. That, mm-hmm. the, that OSU game had the best Buki moment, or best or worst. 
you know, most notable Buki moment of the season, probably of the, uh, <laughs> of giving them the extra down and they immediately score a touchdown. Um, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. That was just, you know, yeah. Buki in a nutshell, kind of. Um, yeah. Right. Right. I have a theory about the Spencer Sanders thing. See, Go for it. I think he was concussed, but then Mike Gundy was like, well, hang on. We got to get money flowing through the state of Oklahoma. You got to get back out there. <laughs> Your brain is young. It can take yeah. it. It's like it South Park take- where, the cure, where the cure is just, you know, injecting money straight into your veins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the cure to concussions, too. Yeah. So, uh, well, well, that cash game, I mean, right. And, you know, that game, you know, that was kind of, I kind of remember that as the Mikey Henderson game. Like, he was just awesome. That oh, yeah. play was open every single time they ran it. They could have just yeah. run that straight down the field. Yeah. That was that was great. Ramondre Stevenson, that was probably his best game of the season. Yeah, I think he wound up with like 142 yards or something. Yeah, at that lines. point I was getting real nervous that he was, you know, just going to do that every game and right. sayonara Ramondre, um, which mm-hmm. still might happen, but it's more in doubt now. So Yeah. Yeah, and so that kind of ends the, the most dominant stretch of the season where – Things were clicking enough offensively, and our defense had become truly, really, really, really good, um, especially up front on the defensive line. Ronnie Perkins was a man amongst boys against OSU. You know, he's the one who, you know, his hit on Spencer Sanders took him out of the game. Like he, he was threw him like a ragdoll. Yeah, he was unreal in that game. Um, and then we had a couple couple weeks off because of COVID, right? And, you know, we we had some major COVID issues. We had to cancel the the West Virginia game for the first time um, because we just couldn't field a team, which, you know, if you really think about it, like, I don't think I, at the time of it happening, put enough, you know, I don't think I was as amazed as I should have been that we were able to play as many games as we did throughout the year. Because up until that West Virginia game, we were just pretty fine overall other than after the first week you know like we we were able to fill the team every week and we weren't normally missing someone that was like you know really really important to our team yeah i can't think of anyone that was you know crucial that we got contact traced at any point through the season i'm sure there might have been like a starter here or there but no Mm -hmm. one there was never like a oh we're down Spencer or we're down Creed or something, somebody that would just be a massive blow. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that, you know, the COVID and contact tracing that happened the first time we're going to talk about in a minute, you know, there were struggles against Baylor, especially offensively. Uh, Mm -hmm. Well, almost all, all offensively. I think that COVID was a pretty big part of that because, they shut down football operations for what was it five days? Um, I think so. And yeah. then they had got kind of a short week to put in Baylor. Baylor had had, you know, extra time I think if I remember correctly, or at least Dave Aranda was familiar with the offense just because he had studied it at LSU. Um, so I, I think that was part of the struggle there. I don't want to say it was all of it, but we didn't have everybody. We were a little shorthanded against Baylor. They had less practice time. It just looked a little discombobulated the whole the whole way through. 
Yeah, it was it was not fun to watch. That was one of those games where you were happy it was over because yeah. like it was it was a struggle to do anything. We couldn't run the ball. Um, you know, we had receivers dropping passes. It was we were having trouble protecting Rattler. That just nothing no, worked. There was the one play where um, I think it was on Mims where Terrell Bernard just basically <laughs> decapitated Marvin Mims over the yeah. over the middle. Um, it just seemed like Baylor was, you know, they played their best game defensively all season. Um, we probably played our worst or one of our worst offensively. Um, yeah. And it was just, a, you know, it was a rough watch. Um, we could, I think we had like 250 yards on the night, which I can't imagine there have been many times in Lincoln Riley's six, six years, six years here where that's happened. So it was rough. Yeah, and and conversely, the the defense part maybe played its best game of the year. Like it was dominant from pretty much start to finish. Like there was, you know, it was concerning that the offense wasn't able to just score a million points. But it was like we're not losing this game because they're not going to score. Like it just it wasn't going to happen. And you know, Ronnie Perkins killed him. I, Isaiah mm-hmm. Thomas was unreal. Perion went like the guys up front really just they weren't going to let us lose that game you know which is it's a very strange feeling to have that confidence in your defense and to know that like okay well, i'm going to enjoy watching this series yeah it's come so fast i think it's kind of like unsettled ou fans like we haven't had enough time to properly acclimate to you know going from incredible offense and awful defense to pretty, you know, very competent defense and, you know, still pretty competent offense, but not at the same levels as it was. And I think it's just a little bit jarring for people, you know, they, yeah. they, they're, they they're still in the, we have to score every single time mold. And when that doesn't happen, they just throw fits. So, right. um, but yeah, it's that game. I mean, they, the defense basically, you know, sent Charlie Brewer to the portal. So, yeah, you can, they can thank the Oklahoma defense for that, <laughs> I think. Um, but yeah, they, they just they they've hit a groove, especially in that front in the defensive line, the second half of the season, and they've just you know, I know there have been you know uh, publications out there that have um, talked about ranking defensive lines in the country. I haven't seen any um, that have been better in the back half of the year. I know there are some that might be more talented, mm. but. This one and I, I this one's really talented too. No, don't get me wrong, but um, they've been really, really impressive up front. Yeah, well, and I I think the thing that is the most is the nicest thing to see for me personally is there was, you know, I I was a little concerned that you know we're going so all in on the speed and athleticism thing, you know, and you would think that that might struggle a little bit against the run. Mm-hmm. When you get up against a team that can run the ball well, um, mm-hmm. like say in Iowa State, and that just hasn't been the case. Like we've we've been better against the run. Yeah, like we I think are. I know going into the Big Twelve game, they were number four in the country against the run. Yeah, um, like yeah, which is really surprising because I remember that too, Alex. I, whenever they hired Grinch, it's like, well, you know, he's really aggressive, but sometimes that can bite you and people can hit stuff on you because guys are flying, you know, a field so fast they can hit a seam on you or something and mm-hmm. pop one for 20 or 30 or, you know, longer. 
Um, but we really haven't seen that that this much. I think I think Brees Hall, you know, and kind of Deuce Vaughn. Though Deuce Vaughn was more, if I remember right, on like you know small passes and stuff. Um, I think he had one long run against but I, yeah, touchdown. Yeah, in the back yeah. half of the year, I don't remember very many long runs. Just period. I think Chub, Chuba Chuba um, had one, and that's about the only one that immediately pops in my mind. Yeah. No, it, it it was just it was so nice to see to know that like, you know, if it's third and one against an opposing offense, like in previous yeah. years it was like, oh, this is automatic. It's automatic, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's just there's no way we don't even need to watch the play. Hell, if it's third and three, it was automatic. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and now it's like, you know, teams are throwing on third and one because they think mm-hmm. they might not be able to get the get the one yard. Like it's it's yeah, changed a lot. Like there's Texas Tech that we had, I think we had multiple of those where, uh, you know, we held them on third and one, and then they went for it on fourth down. We held that too, you know, and that's yeah. just completely new in four. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yeah, the talent up up front is is pretty incredible. And yeah, let's talk about the Big Twelve title because I know that. I kind of rationalized my with myself that the offensive issues against Baylor were were COVID related, you know, and I figured that we would come out against Iowa State and play much better, and we certainly jumped out on them and and played great yep. um, in the first about quarter and a half or so. But it just you know basically from mid second quarter until that last drive of the first half, and then. Most of the third and fourth quarters, it just we just couldn't get it done. You know, we had can't t- like we had so many opportunities. We just needed to score a touchdown, and the game is over. Like there there was no coming back at that point, and we just couldn't make the play. And you know, the one that sticks out against Iowa State, you know, Spencer Rattler's best throw of the day, deep pass to Trajan Bridges, his first target of the season. You know, I know that it's tough to come through and you know it's your first target of the year but i mean it's not like he hasn't been practicing like that's got to be caught yeah and if know, like that, if i had bet if you if i'd had to bet money i would have bet money that he would have caught that too like same <laughs> so because yeah. that was such a, like a poetic thing i i i would have bet that he would have caught that um mm. but yeah they <laughs> i rewatched because i didn't get to watch that game live because family stuff but i i rewatched it the next day and I just kept thinking, man, they they had they should if they had just caught this or they mm-hmm. there were so many opportunities for them to like continue drives that there's the Theo Weiss where he caught it on you know one yard short he, he, yeah he he caught it yeah. he, he ran the he ran the route and then came up so like he ran it to the sticks and then came up and he caught a one yard short it's like run it eleven yards and then whenever you come up you won't lose the first down like. There were just so many things that they didn't just weren't clean on that they shot themselves in the foot. Um, I'm not long term concerned about it, but you know they'd only played one game because they they'd missed the West Virginia game again, so they'd only played like one game in a month. Don't know how much Mm -hmm. of that factors in. Iowa State, good defensive team that traditionally has given us trouble, and I was listening to a thing with an Iowa State writer uh, before the game where he talked about, you know, in the first quarter or two, teams can hit stuff. But once Iowa State 
sees you and they're so they have so much experience and they're so veteran they they do a really good job of restricting and not you know having that stuff happen again and playing really good once they've kind of seen your game plan well by golly that's not exactly what happened we hit them on stuff we played really well the first quarter we jumped out to a big lead and then they just went into a shell um, and we yeah. couldn't do anything so yeah and part of it was iowa state i'll give them credit but a lot of it was OU just not capitalizing on their opportunities. Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, and it's annoying that this happened literally in the Big 12 championship game and it still felt this way, but it's, it's still, we looked like a team that was still figuring out, like, what the best position groups were, you know, what mix of skill players is going to work in these situations. Like, we just didn't have those answers. We didn't have, like the go-to in the second half to like get yeah. things going. I agree. Um, and you couldn't, they couldn't rely on the run either. Yeah. So that, you know, so mm-hmm. much of the, what we do stems off of that. So if, I think Riley got away from it a little bit, but it's hard to, you know, establish anything whenever you have three and out, three and out, you know, continue, continuously right. doing that. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it was really frustrating. For sure. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of one of my like rants that I have um, because you know Lincoln Riley's play calling got killed by from a lot of fans and you know just there's been a popular thing of like where he just he doesn't have a killer mentality to you know really step on teams' throats and like all of that stuff you know if you want to nitpick you know, and, you know, cherry pick certain examples of that. Sure. You can come up with a really good narrative that sounds good, but it's so lazy to me, you know, like there's Mm -hmm. so much context um, in all of these games that there's not really a through line to me in terms of one specific issue that OU had in all of these games that caused this issue. And, you know, I go back to the, the Rose Bowl game and. Oh, do we have to? Yeah, I, just real quick. <laughs> that game, people talk about, oh, Lincoln's play calling got so conservative in the second half, and I just don't agree with that. I think the reality of the situation is, no matter how good your offense is, that Georgia defense was elite. Yeah, that was, that was the best defense yeah. in the country. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be parts the of the game. They had player in the country. Right. There's going to be parts of the game against that kind of defense where they just play well. Clamp they down. figure you yeah. out. And we were unbelievable in the first half. You can't expect that to just go for the entire game. And the reality of the situation is we had three possessions in the second half that we didn't score. And we found ourselves down a touchdown as a result because our defense was so terrible. You know, like that's not that's not a Lincoln Riley problem. That's a the defense sucked problem, you know. And when it really came down to it, the offense scored the touchdown that tied the game. And they made enough plays to win that game. The defense did not, you know, like it. Yeah, if you score forty something, I don't remember forty seven something. I don't remember exactly what the score was, but if you score more than forty on that Georgia team, you should not lose. Um, no. And they let yeah, Jake they Fromm drive the field at the end of the game, like yeah. that. Like that's not a Lincoln Riley doesn't have killer instinct. That he got conservative in the second half. Problem. That's not what that is. I don't know how you blame. Lincoln Riley's conservative mentality for losing to Kansas State this year. Like, yeah. no, he turned was, it over five times. 
Yeah. That was defense the, fell apart. Yep, exactly. You know, like it's just the, the narrative does not really is not really reality, in my opinion, in terms of no. there's not one issue. And in this game, I think if you were to go back and watch the game again, you would not be all that bothered by the play calling. I really. I, yeah, I and I wasn't because I I mean, I did that or at least I, I didn't watch it live. So I was and I knew what happened. So I wasn't, you know sweating it out while I was watching it. I was watching it maybe a little bit more critically or mm-hmm. inquisitively. I was just kind of watching it just to see, oh, what did they do? I wasn't like, oh, why did he do that? You know, the only time I really did that was in the first or the, the first drive of the second half, was it, where it was third and one. And yeah. I think that might have been almost just more of a bad decision by Spencer because he threw it into, like, triple coverage. So yeah. Why did you do that? But I would have probably run the ball there, but they're also stopping the run. So I understand, you know, trying to do something a little different. I think it was just maybe a bad decision. But I I wasn't repeatedly finding myself like, oh, this just doesn't make any sense. Why are they doing things Mm -hmm. like this? You know, Um, it was just I feel like it was more execution. And I this is this is kind of a. An overarching theme of the year is I don't know how critical to be in this year of all years because it's such a weird year. They've had so much disrupted. Um, I don't think there's any, I think there's on it from a national level. I mean, part of it is because these are the two elite programs in the country, but another part of why I think Alabama and Clemson look like the best two teams in the country right now is because they have played 11 games Um, and they haven't been disrupted, you know, on a game yet um, yeah. or at least not, you know, repeatedly just Which, about um, every other school has. So that didn't um, pass my test, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, but yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. This year has been so stupid. Like looking yeah. back on it, it's like, you know, guys got fired this year and you know, in some cases these were things that were a long time coming, but it's wild to me that you made that decision based on this, data set <laughs> yeah. i uh, i don't want to get too much into the national thing but it, it was wildly funny to me the auburn coaching search they yeah for that you know that they pay 20 million dollars to go on that you know thrill ride so anyway mm-hmm. um right that's that's a tangent but um, yeah well that's i i think that overall you know, this this offense in reality was probably just going to take a step back because it was a young offense in general. And then it was yeah. the perfect storm of not having the preparation process that you would normally have. And I think that what we saw this year is the worst offense we'll ever see under Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Probably. Uh, and it was still, you know, I don't know what they were ranked, but I'm sure it was still you know, top 20 coming or into, something coming so. into the big 12 championship. They were fourth in SP plus. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. So uh, there you go. Um, right. I wouldn't have even expected that, but that's, that tells you all you need to know. They're still pretty damn good. And mm-hmm. they're kind of playing with one hand behind their back a lot. Like we mentioned this just well ago. They, they lost their number one target in Austin Stogner halfway through the year. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, they were down probably what was supposed to be their number one target due to an ACL injury in the spring. Another one of their best receivers didn't get to play till the Big 12 championship game. And then they 
you know, their top guy was a true freshman. Their other starter was a true sophomore. They had a true, or they had a redshirt freshman quarterback that didn't get an offseason to run routes with his, you know, super young group of receivers. They had all these things going against them. They didn't have their best running back for half of the year. Just there's so much working against them. I can understand them taking a step back. I, and then on top of all of that, as soon as they start hitting a groove, you talked about that like four game stretch where they start playing really well. They hit, they run into a wall of, you know, two games canceled and only play one game in a month and then go against the best defense that they play all year, the conference title, and they still win it. So, right. you know, is there room for improvement? Sure. Absolutely. But I don't, I just can't be super critical on them this year because they, yeah. they had so much adversity that they had to overcome and that they had to deal with. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, kind of putting a bow on the, the season and, you know, we might have a, might have a podcast talking about the bowl game because who knows what the hell that's going to look like. Um, or if it looks like anything at all. Yeah. If it yeah, even happens, play it. Yeah. both, both teams are sending their kids home for Christmas. Yeah, I'm a little so skeptical I'm, that that's even going to actually. Yeah. It seems happen. like a yeah. toss up to me, but I think that, you know, a big 12 championship is a, a great result for this year. I mean, there's no doubt oh, about sure. it. I think the fact that the defense is really what led us to that championship for the most part this season, I think moving forward, that's going to wind up being a win for us. Mm-hmm. Because I think that our offense, like you, when we listed out all of the things that were kind of working against us offensively, I think that a lot of that stuff's going to get ironed out. And we're going to be... We might not ever, you know, we might not get back to the 2017-2018 offenses. I, I don't know. Those were amazing. And we had two of the best quarterbacks ever. Yeah. But I, I think, think we can. 2016. <laughs> I agree. I think they so. can hit 2016. Um, and if we hit 2018 levels, there's just going to be blood everywhere in the Big 12. Like, there's there's not going to be anything anyone yeah. can do about it. So, yeah. Um, you guys want to see a dead body kind of stuff. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. But I, I think that, you know, being able to know that the defense is, is there, it's getting there and it's seemingly only going to get better. I, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about what the, the direction of the program is. And if you, you know, you told most people after the one and two start that, Hey, we're still going to win the big 12 this year. You know, they would probably have been like, what really? And, um, you know, that's just, you know, this team, that's what we do. We, we turned out, we just, we know how to win the big 12, you know? And yeah, that's, that, that kind of seems like what we relied on this year. And if you think about also Iowa state is probably the most complete team that we've played in a big 12 championship game. Um, I, I think that, I think, I think last year, three yeah. Years I think last year's Baylor's defense might have been a little bit better, or maybe the 2017 TCU defense might have been a little bit better. But as an overall team, offense and defense, this is probably the best team we've played in this run yeah. of Big 12 titles. Yeah. yeah, I think last year's Baylor defense is the best individual, like half of a ball, the ball that right. we played. But yeah. that Baylor offense was nowhere near as good as the Iowa State offense no, this year. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> And, you know, this is the worst OU team of this run, I think, you know, and there's probably and that and we still won the game. And not only did we beat the best team that we've played, most of our fans are pissed off that it wasn't 
a bigger win. You know, that just kind of tells you the gap that we're working with here. The margin of error for OU in this conference is so ridiculously huge right now that it's it's pretty incredible. Um, so I, I'm I'm personally excited about how the season went. Um, I you know, there will always be like, you know, should we have actually played a college football season? You know, probably not. But whatever we did and we kept yeah, we, our streak alive. We don't make those decisions, so we can no. only we can only right. evaluate what we see. Right. Yeah. So I want to I want to look ahead to 2021 a little bit, and because I know that this is Nathan and I's favorite topic in the world, I think we I think probably three or four times a week one of us sends a depth chart to each other, um, <laughs> and it's just the same depth chart over and over again. But we like act hey, all excited over and over slight again. Tweaks. So, there are slight yeah, tweaks. There are slight tweaks. Slight tweaks, but we we always get excited. But Perfect. Um, yeah. So I, I think that, and you know, I think a lot of our excitement is it starts on the defense. Yeah. You know, like I, the fact that you know we might lose Ronnie Perkins and we might not lose Ronnie Perkins. Who knows? But That's I true. think, yeah, right. Even if we lose Ronnie Perkins, we might have the best defensive line in college football next year. Yeah, it'll be up there. I mean. It'll be on a very short list. Uh, I know Clemson's will be really good, but I mean, it'll probably be the most proven. Um, yeah. And if yeah. they get Rodney Perkins back, I think it can be, I think you'd be completely justified in saying, yes, that is the best one. Um, because I can't think of any others that have, you know, an Isaiah Thomas and a Periana Winfrey and a Nick Benito, you know, and all these guys. So, yeah. It's it's a really, really good group. And then the thing that's crazy about it is if you actually look at those death charts that we keep sending back and forth, it's like three deep at every single spot. That's the yeah. crazy part about it. Yeah. There's some yeah. spots that I'm like, the fifth guy seems like he should play, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it's it's pretty incredible. And, you know, we're probably going to get Jalen Redmond back, who has mm-hmm. who will probably come on working bench. out. Yeah, if Ronnie Perkins right. comes back. He would come off the bench. That is the oh funniest gosh. thing. Just like I'm at, just Jalen Redmond, and his only job is to be like a third down guy. Yeah, like, it is. God, yeah, be that, so rude. That defensive line would be, "Hey, Isaiah, do you want a breather? Okay, we're going to put Jalen out there. <laughs> That's what right. that defensive line is. So, um, I think I think Perrion Winfrey. I mean, it's been said he might be the I best Grinch. defensive tackle in the country next year. Like, yeah, that both. dude is a freaking monster. Yeah, both Grinch and uh, Ronnie Perkins have said they think that can happen. Um, and I agree with them. I mean, I think we've said that, actually, you know, multiple times, at least amongst ourselves. I mean, the physical talent is there. Uh, I think the slight, crazy uh, mindset is there. So it's <laughs> just, you know, can he... Uh, play school and not get in trouble long enough to, you know, to manifest these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to his credit, I mean, he's been suspended like a quarter or two, you know, throughout, but he hasn't done anything, you know, super stupid. So no. you think he can. Yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm ridiculously excited about the front. You know, we're, we're going to be adding guys like Clayton Smith to the group as well. Um, it, it should be unreal. If you look back to the to the second line, the the linebacking core, 
you know, we've we've had to deal with a lot of crappy linebackers over the past <laughs> decade. And oh, you know, we've played yeah, we've played our fair share of walk ons because we just have been embarrassing in terms of recruiting that position. But yeah. we might legitimately have a two deep of actual good football players at all of our linebacker positions. Which is also crazy. Yeah. yeah, Caleb Kelly coming back. He wants oh to win a six Big Twelve title ring. Caleb Kelly coming back, like I don't think people are going to be appreciative enough of the fact that, like, it's like you know, Caleb Kelly has disappointed in the past and he's been hurt a lot. But like, you're still talking about a guy who was a five star coming in and is now like a 25 year old man. Right. <laughs> well, and he, you know, he got. I think we've. Again, this is another thing I think we've talked about, at least amongst ourselves. Like, whenever he played for the Mike defenses, yeah, he he wasn't always great, but he was like nobody else was that good. Also, right. Um, and also, he's like one of the few players on those defenses that's like capable of making a play. So mm-hmm. you know, just extrapolate that. You know, the I think he can absolutely. It's just you know, give good minutes and be a rotation guy, and if or you know split, you know, snaps a lot with, you know, David Aguebu or whoever. Um mm-hmm. and those you know in that two deep next year. So yeah. and it like you said, it he's twenty five or, you know, super old, so he can uh he'll put he'll be leadership, you know, aspect as well. Yeah. I think he's actually twenty four. But it's still like you're old talking enough. about a guy who is like he's working on his second master's degree. Let's just he's grown. He's grown. <laughs> Right, like, and this is the thing that like BYU can like consistently would have an advantage, um, yeah, over the years because they would get guys after they'd done their mission and had just have like full adult men, you know, playing that a is, sport that includes teenagers. That is a great yeah. point. If you ever watch like those BYU and Utah defensive lines, they always look so old, and that's exactly mm-hmm. why. Yeah, 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 and ha- like him rotating, like I. I'm envisioning him coming on for David Aguebu, who is just one of the more physically impressive linebackers we've had mm-hmm. at OU. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think Kenneth Murray is the only one that's kind of in that same mold. And, like, it's just incredible to think that that's where we could be at linebacker after some of the guys that we've thrown out there. Even our good ones have been, like, Dominique Alexander, who, you know, it's like, oh, you should probably be a safety, but you're not, you know, and like, and then we've got Brian Asamoah and Deshaun White that can rotate at the will position who have, you know, White has multiple years of starting experience now. Asamoah's played a ton of football and both of those guys, they're not the biggest guys in the world, but they are fast as hell, you yeah. know, and Asamoah is super athletic, you know, there's lots of Mm-hmm. There's lots to like there, and you know, even if you get out down into the depths, you know, we were super high on Shane Witter coming out of high school last year, and yeah. he's made a couple plays in spot duty this year. You know, mm-hmm. there's just a lot there, and at the rush backer, you've got you know, John Michael Terry returns for another year because he's you know he that's available to him. You might have like three or four guys that can uh, work in there. I know the staff is super high on Brendan Walker, Nick Benito coming back. Um, Clayton Smith, you know, one of the best outside linebackers in the country at a high school coming out this year. There's lots of uh, potential there. Joseph Wete. <laughs> as a, yeah, don't forget about Joseph. Yeah, you don't want to forget about <laughs> Joseph. So he is also a name. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, right. 
There's a lot no, of just there. insane depth on the front seven. And then, you know, the back end, you know, that's been a, an, an Achilles heel. But mm-hmm. it looks like we've found a couple corners that might actual, actually be guys. Yeah. yeah. Like DJ Graham might be an actual guy. Woody Washington that, might be an actual guy. That yeah. interception Graham had against Baylor was very impressive. Yeah. Right. That interception well, Woody had against Texas right. was also very true. impressive. It was so like it was like a sea change to me when Woody Washington came into a game and like he was good. <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> like, You're not like oh, it, it wasn't a situation like um you think about like um oh who was like there have been past like emergency corners who get thrown into the fire too too soon, and like mm-hmm. by the end of the season, you look back and you say, "Hey, they, they weren't so bad." Right. That was not the case with Woody Washington. He was just good. Like, he right. was just, Oh, this guy can play this position. They like basically just took a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he he essentially Jaden Davis's position became Woody Washington's. Yeah. You know, that was supposed and to be Jaden Davis, Davis's spot. Yeah, he's played. You know, fairly well too. He hasn't been like you know a liability, but Woody no. just kind of took the job anyway. Right. Yeah. No. It, it it was it was weird to look out there and be like, oh yeah, we have four corners that I feel pretty good about. Right. You know, like that's that's wild. You know, we're gonna lose Trey Brown, but you know we're gonna have DJ Graham, Woody Washington, Jaden Davis all back. We're gonna have the freshmen from this year. Yeah, Josh um, Eaton and. Josh Eaton, hopefully Kendall, Kendall Dennis. Dennis. We'll see. Yeah, hopefully the freshman for this class. <laughs> like we're finally we're getting some depth across the defense. And then the last guy I really want, like I think Trey Norwood might just be like our best defensive back. <laughs> yeah, like mm. he's just actually good. It's wild, you know. It doesn't really matter where he is. Like put him at the nickel, put him at the safety. Like he's just good at football. He makes plays. I guess we're seeing why Grinch was so like in love with him his first off season. Yeah. Uh, and how why he was so devastated whenever he tore his ACL because he was, you mm-hmm. know, super complimentary well, of him that whole off season. He made he made like two different one on one tackles on Brees Hall that I was just shocked. You know. Hmm. Yeah. I was like, I was expecting oh he's gonna break this tackle and get 15 yards and and no Trey Norwood just got him down pretty easily. Yeah. And he's still not like a physical presence, but he's at least like big enough now to where he can hold up long enough for other people to get there and help him. Yeah. Um, which was not the case. You know, I think about that yeah, first year, 2017, whenever he's out there against Georgia and it's just like this kid might not make it to the end of the game, you know, because he's like a twig <laughs> and he's yeah. playing against <laughs> that Georgia front. So um, he he's put on a lot of good weight. He's, he's like he said, he makes plays and. That's just something that OU defensive backs straight up have not done for like five years. So yeah. it is very cool to see that starting to happen. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Like he's like that interception he made in the Big 12 title game was one of the better defensive back plays I've seen from an OU DB in a long time because mm. it wasn't even really his guy. Like he just read the read the quarterback's eyes and oh, then he busted it over there to get to Charlie Kohler and he just picked it off. Like that was an incredible play and it, it saved a touchdown, you know? And um, so I'm, I'm really excited about what we've seen from, from Trey Norwood as, as a legitimate playmaker on the back end um, because 
you know, I think safety is, is still a position that it's like the one position that you come into next year not feeling amazing about. Right, but let me posit a couple things. I and I agree. It's not. It's the it's the weakest position. I would say, um, but Delarian Turner Yell. It's he had a. I thought he had a really nice Big Twelve championship game. He had that long pass breakup on the one of their tight ends. I can't remember the kid's name. Um, Allen. Uh, that was a really nice play. He had some nice tackles. Pat Fields had his first interception, and you know. A lot of that was because uh, Purdy just threw it straight to him, but he caught it, which he hasn't even done that before. So you know, kudos to him. Um, I, I I don't feel like they're liabilities anymore. I don't I don't feel like the safeties um, are just kind of there. They're at least you know starting to make some plays. They're and they're not busting coverage a lot anymore. I feel like um, are they you know great players? Yeah, I think the basic point about the safety position is you don't feel amazing about it because there's not really an elite player there right. and there's not incredible depth, but it's probably the best the position's been in a long time. Yeah, and I was kind of working myself up to a point. You know, I, I think the starters are solid. I think Turner Yale is better than Fields, but I think they're no longer giving, you know, busting coverage. They're no longer doing the dumb things that'll get you beat. And I think the depth there's reasons for a lot of optimism. You know, Bryson Washington will be in the second year. He was something there's someone they were super high on coming out of high school. Uh, Jeremiah Cradell, another one of those cases um, who's played some this year, but you know, could continue to push. And I think the name that we expect to probably be the biggest immediate impact next year is Justin Harrington. I th- and he was somebody that, you know, even in a very limited amount of time that he had before he, he decided to have surgery on his uh, on his knee this offseason was just completely turning heads. And there's just a lot of buzz around Justin Harrington this offseason. And I think, you know, there is a very good chance that even if he doesn't just like straight up steal a job next year, he's going to play a lot. I think uh, Pat Fields needs to have his head on a swivel because I think Justin Harrington could absolutely um, take a lot of Pat Fields snaps, you know, even if it's not. All of his snaps, it might be a 50-50 split, a 60-40 Pat Fields split, you know, something to where this guy is, you know, a, a very um, large part of the defensive rotation in the backfield. Yeah, so I got a question. Do you think that we will see Trey Norwood kind of slide in as that starting nickel and have Buki kind of rotate in with him and then have Harrington back at the safety behind uh, yeah. Fields? I do think okay. that I think Harrington will play the true kind of free safety spot. Okay. Um, he could play strong also. I don't really know. They're so they're very interchangeable the way you place them. I think yeah. Pat's a little bit weaker, and that's why I think Harrington plays there honestly. Um, yeah. But I, I think you. Norwood will basically. Be I think you know I think they're going to do the or thing <laughs> on right. you know who's the starter, but I think Norwood will be you know the actual like unspoken starter. I think Buki will play a lot still. I, I think he'll play sure. a lot in dime. I think he'll, you know, still rotate a bunch because they can do a lot of things with Norwood. Um, they can move Dor- Norwood back to normal safety. You know, they can have him at nickel. They could have him all over the place, but they could pro- I bet they play him at corner some. Um, 
But, yeah, I think Buki will kind of have his job as, you know, halved with Norwood. Because I think what that does is it lets you get your best players on the field. Um, yeah. If you can have a Harrington or at least your most physically talented players on the field, if you can have Harrington splitting snaps with Fields and Norwood splitting snaps with Buki instead of Norwood, Fields, and Harrington all vying for the same spot. Right. Yeah, no, I think that that, that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I, I was a little – I mean, until Norwood really kind of broke out as a, as a really good player, I yeah. kind of assumed that Harrington might be the nickel because I think yeah, they do want to get – get to a bigger guy at that position. Um, yeah. But I, I think, credit, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not true. <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought the same. Cause I was, you know, I'll be completely transparent. I did not think much of Norwood as far as being a safety, like a long-term safety. Um, I think a lot of it was just, I was skeptical of his like physical limitations, but he's looked better this mm-hmm. year than I thought he was going to. And he's still, you know, working back from an injury. Now he's not, you know, fresh off the injury, but um, I think even next year he'll be in, you know, even another, uh, obviously he'll be another year removed from it. And so that's another year of, you know, not having to do rehab, but instead getting bigger, stronger, faster, all that stuff. So right. um, I, I did not give him the credence of, you know, I, I didn't believe that he was a long-term answer there, especially for a potential title run. So I thought Harrington would take that nickel job. But now I say, well, if Norwood can actually, you know, be a positive, you know, plus player there, let's, hell, let's move Harrington back to free safety and see if he can challenge Fields and either elevate Fields' game or, you know, start taking snaps. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you can replace, you know, some of Pat Fields' snaps with a guy who is as freakishly, you know, athletic as Justin Harrington with perfect size – yeah, like that's, and, and for that's those awesome. who are unaware, you know, he's like 6'3", 215, yeah. and runs like a deer. Like, he's, you know, he looks like a guy that, I mean, physically, he looks like someone that's like first-round potential. I don't want sure. to put that on him because we haven't seen him play yet, but just like right. physical makeup, you know, he has everything that you ever see of those guys that get drafted super high. Um, yep. So, and I, it was just really, really surprising how immediate the buzz was on him this off season, considering, you know, he had injured his knee. I, and they knew that coming in and he's like, well, I'm going to try and play on it. And he was still making these waves um, until it, I guess that he might've tweaked the knee or enough to where they're like, we need to, you know, actually work on this. Uh, But it seems like, you know, there's just a ton of buzz around him. So I expect that to pick back up and continue next year um, and to see him as a, as a real player. Yep. And then, okay, offensively, you know, we've talked about the offense quite a bit. And Mm -hmm. the thing that gives me the most hope of, you know, why I think next year is going to be a lot better is that some of the throws Spencer Rattler has made this year are just some of the more absurdly good throws I've ever seen any quarterback make. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not over-exaggerating. Like that's truly not an over exaggeration. Like he's Very made good. throws, he's made throws this year that Baker and Kyler weren't making. Like I'm dead serious. Like it's it's been an unbelievable, the upside that he has showcased at times. Um, 
And I think, like like you said earlier, you know, I think we'll work through some some issues on the offensive line. I think once we get Eric Swenson moved out and have Anton Harrison come in, yeah. I think you might see Chris Murray take the Tyrese Robinson's position. Um, or, you know, Chris Murray replaces Creed Humphrey. We'll see how that goes. But I'm there just... A, there seems to be, you know, a groundswell of, oh, maybe Creed's coming back. You know, that seems to actually be a thing that could happen. So, yeah. Um, I mean, if that happened, you know, I would say, you know, Tyrese and certainly Eric Swenson and Tyrese should also have their heads on swivels, you know, um, it, because I've seen enough from Anton Harrison to say he should be playing now. And I right. think I could probably say the same of Chris Murray. Uh, I, well, I the think the offensive with, line, you know, would be better for that. Yeah. But, the thi- thing with Harrison is that he's, he's clearly already a better pass blocker. Yeah. You know, and you, I think that run blocking can be developed. Like, I mean, I mean, all of it can, but mm-hmm. Swenson to me is just, he is literally physically limited as a pass blocker because he's not yeah, he's overly athletic. Other, yeah. You know, and the that's thing not Harrison, the problem with Harrison. Well, and the, the other thing with Harrison is, you know, the, if he's playing next year, that gives him, we have to remember that he did not have the off season. Um, so if you give him that going into next year, a lot of what run blocking is, I mean, it's not just strength, but a lot of it is strength. You know, that that, that is an important element to it. So that's just something that's going to get better for him. Yeah. Um, so we expect that to continue to grow. And so you think that, well, maybe he can truly push Eric Swinton. And he was the opening day starter uh, this year and got contact traced and, for whatever reason, they just never went back to him. But right. I think that that's absolutely something that can happen next year and that he just takes that job by game three and never surrenders it. Yeah. I, I also think that there's a pretty good chance that we will see far less Drake Stoops next year and his snaps will be replaced by Jaden Hazelwood snaps. That's huge. Bit of a physical upgrade there. Yeah. Yeah, you replace a, a walk-on guy who's like 5'8 with – a six foot two five star wide receiver, you're probably feeling pretty good about that. Blocking and, will get uh, almost certainly improved. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the one guy in the receiving core that I have questions about long term. I mean, I'm not even going to mention Charleston Rambo. I think he's probably going to transfer. No, I, thought, and, I thought we were going there. I was getting ready. No, for this. no. <laughs> I, I think Charleston Rambo is not going to be here. I have lane trains. I have small concerns about Theo Weiss, all right? And yeah, I think that's he all. needs in order for him to be truly the receiver, like he's got to be like a badass possession guy in my opinion. He needs and to he learn has, that he's 6-3. Yeah, he has shown an inability to use his body really effectively this year and he has not been the most short-handed guy. Yeah. And that those are two things that he's just got to figure out because he's not a burner. You know, yeah. he's not this elite speed guy, and he's going to have to figure that out. Um, or I think you could see a guy like Trajan Bridges take his job. Um, who, he might do it anyways, but right. I think that, you know, Weez is, is the guy that I'm a little concerned about because he's the one who has been able to play. You know, he was healthy, mm-hmm. and he's not coming off a long suspension or anything. Like, he was here all year. 
and there's still some concerns about him as the player. Like all the other guys, there's a little bit of a wait and see because you want to see what they can do with an offseason and with you know the continuity with the yeah. quarterback. So and, I think yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, I he's I don't want to say he's been. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. He hasn't been bad or anything, but he's a, a little underwhelmed to a little underwhelming to me. And basically because of the two things you said, he's had drops, which I wasn't expecting. And then he's, he seems to rely less on his body than he should. He's, he needs to realize how big he is And this. I, I kind of have this, actually, I don't kind of, I do have this same beef with Austin Stogner. Um, use your body. Like you're six, yeah. three or in Austin Stogner's case, you know, six, 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 seven, you know, you are way bigger than these defensive backs. You know, take advantage of that. Um, and I think that will come with time because if we have to remember these guys are just true sophomores. But um, they need to develop that part of their game because, like you said, I think he can be – what his best case scenario is is being the big, strong outside wide receiver that gets you first downs. Um, and I think Hazelwood in a lot of ways will be, you know, the guy that – you know, works inside and gets you first downs and comes at, you know, teams from that angle. And then Bridges and Mims are your outside guys and that are kind of your big play guys. So they can all interchange and, you know, do different things. But in your perfect, you know, simplified scenario, that's what those guys bring for you. So um, I do have, I I, I agree. I have kind of the same questions. Um, Can he take, you know, can he fix those things? Can he get better? Um, but I'm hoping that, you know, that will just come with time and that he's still got, you know, two years to figure that out. Yeah. I don't, I've seen enough from him and from, from most of these guys that, you know, there, there is a popular take that, OU just doesn't have the talent at receiver right now. You know, they're not able to create a separation. (laughs) And I just, I just think that that's wrong. I, I think that, you know, yeah, there were times where they, they didn't create separation this year, but um, I think a lot of that is is just inexperience. Yeah, you know? I think it's I, mainly them being super, super young. I don't think it's uh, they're just not talented problem. I think right. it's uh, their freshman and sophomores problem. Yeah, yeah. The, the sophomores this year are kind of, you know, freshmen and a half because the, yeah. of the, the disadvantages they had. So... I think we're going to see a big jump from all these guys. I think Marvin Mims is going to be a freaking superstar. Um, I think he's that guy who takes the top off the defense, and he's also got a lot more to his game than that. There's no he's doubt a, about he's that. He's an excellent route runner. Uh, yeah, he's he's got a he's got all world potential in my. I think he's got the most potential out of any of the receivers we have. Um, but I I think we're going to see big improvements from all these guys, and oh, you we're just not going to. Yeah. Well, you just seems to have a knack with those, you know, like six foot, you know, 180 pound guys. Like yeah. It, yeah. we never seem to get the six, five guys that dominate where it's the smaller ones that for whatever reason seem to thrive whenever they get here or get to right. Norman. But um, yeah, well, I, I just don't think we'll be sitting here in a year thinking, oh, we, we need to upgrade our receiving core. I just I think I don't see yeah. that as the possibility. I think again, and we talked about this earlier, but this has just been such a weird year that almost to to a team, to you know, to a fault, the teams that succeeded this year 
um, by and large, were the really experienced teams. Um, Iowa State, super experienced in conference. I don't think there's a, uh, I don't think it's, you know, an anomaly that they had their best year this year of all years. Um, right. I think, you know, Alabama, that whole team from last year basically came back this year um, in a lot of ways. Clemson, the offense is extremely experienced. Defense, not as much, but offense, very experienced. Notre Dame, yeah. super experienced. There's just a lot of experience in those top teams. Um, Ohio State has a lot of experience um, in key spots. So, you know, I think that in this year of all years that that really mattered. Um, and we didn't have it at basically all the offensive skill positions. Even Ramondre Stevenson didn't have – he'd only played really like a half a season in college right. in, like the, in like a big conference. So um, it was just, you know, I think that's something that we had to kind of work through. And now we're going to have, you know, a season, the season of, you know, as game experience, a true off season. I'm assuming they'll still have spring practices and everything. I don't have any reason to think that they won't do that. Uh, right. Summer and all that. And I think you'll see a jump. Um, will it be 2018? Probably not. But I think it could be 2016. And that with yeah. the defense that it's competent, that should be enough uh, to be a true right. contender. Yeah, I, I guess... I think the ceiling for next year's offense could be 2018 level. Um, if yeah, things I just, just I don't ever if want everything to expect just that. <laughs> right. So. But I think the median outcome is probably going to be around that 2016. Yeah, you know? which is still like a, the top it's offense. Real good. In the country. So <laughs> it's, yeah. it's really I mean, good. So I don't ever want to say I expect a 2018 OU offense, but I certainly wouldn't. I mean, a 2018 OU offense in this year's defense wins a national title like most years. So. Right. Like the only yeah. time that probably doesn't win it is like last year's LSU team. If you run up against them or something like, and even then you'd have a shot. So oh, you would have a shot. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, but most years that type of team isn't out there. Most years you're instead you're running up against, you know, 2017 Bama or 2015 Bama or, you know, a 20, even 2016 Clemson or, you know, team, really good teams, but teams that aren't like, you know, all time great. So, right. Um, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the point, the point is like, we expect next year's team to be like, you know, Nathan and I are calling it the run and yeah, the hashtag, the run. And, you know, we're, we're really excited about it and it could be a legitimate, like, you know, 2017, we had a legit case, you know, and a legit chance to win. It was also a down year overall in college football we kind of think that it could be a good combination of OU being better than that team and also down here the field overall not being quite as good as a normal as like this year for yeah. example i think that uh, is absolutely a likelihood also like if yeah. you look at like the national landscape next year Ohio state replacing a bunch Notre Dame replacing a bunch uh, Georgia i think Georgia will be the SEC favorite right now I think because if they'll be returning, you know, their quarterback Alabama will be replacing theirs and their other two Heisman finalists probably. Um, Well, yeah. Asking me like if I would rather play a good Alabama team or a really or a good Georgia team, I'll take I'll take a Georgia team. Yeah. Um, Give me uh, smart over Saban. Um, Right. You know, Clemson will be replacing Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, exactly. 
uh, and I think JT's, you know, fine. I think he's probably going to be really good just because he has, you know, a lot of talent around him. But, yeah, you know, anyway, Clemson, they'll have DJ, who I think is you know, extremely talented, but um, he'll be in his first year. No, they won't have uh, their ETN. They won't have, you know, several key people. They'll probably still win their conference because, you know, <laughs> it's the ACC. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I mean, oh, you're not you're not going to go through a, a run for a national championship without having to beat Clemson or Alabama. Like that's not happening. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's right exactly. Like there will always be other teams that have a shot out there. You'll never have like a perfect situation. But as compared to like last year, where there's three legitimately yeah. truly elite teams that any of them could have won it. This mm-hmm. year or next year, I don't see that. Could it happen? Sure. But at least on paper, I don't see that. So I think it, it all, you know, the timing works out nicely if OU is actually going to do the yeah. damn thing. And they need guys to return. Um, yeah. But I, I think, you know, for the most part, it kind of it's leaning in that direction. And um, we didn't talk about Ramondre returning. He's a key piece. Um, Kennedy Brooks is probably coming back. Um, that's him and Ramondre would be a great tandem. Um, very, very reliable. Um, there's just, you know, there's a lot of reason for optimism. Um, you just hope you actually get to see it <laughs> and yeah. that it doesn't, you know, get pulled out from under you at the last second. Yeah, for sure. All right. I think that's a good place to kind of, to wrap up for this week and, or for this episode. Um, and like I said, it's, Apparently it's going to be in, in two. This yeah, two one's parts. definitely shorter. So part two. Um, thank you for listening to the Oklahoma Drill. We are doing our best to make up for the lost time and you know talking about. You know we have. I mean we have takes stored up for the whole year. So hopefully these are um, entertaining for everyone else. I'm I'm certainly enjoying doing them. So um, please rate and review us. All that stuff. You know Twitters fine if you want to i don't care um and yeah that's it thank you for listening to the oklahoma drill